Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Thus far the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, give us a zeal for your house, for your church, for your temple. As we consider the truths in your word about your church, about your bride, and we pray that as we meditate on the teaching, teachings of the apostles, that we would be encouraged and challenged and conformed into the image of our Savior Jesus Christ, the head of the church. Amen. Please be seated. Real quick, before I get started here, on the back table right next to where the bulletins are, there are a few new materials out there. One is a book, Gentle and Lowly. I see a few of you have, have grabbed a copy. That's good. There are a handful or more of copies left. Just grab one. If you like it, you can buy somebody else one or replace it. If you don't like it, you can put it back or, if, or you can just keep it. Um, just make sure you read it. And then the other one is a book on church membership. I think it's called Church Membership, in fact, and that's going to be the sermon topic today. Grab one of those. That'd be a great one to read with somebody and talk through the chapters. It's, it's an easy, accessible book, easy to read, uh, challenging, very biblical, and well-written. And then the third thing is the, the cardstock pamphlet of the Bible readings for the Bible reading program that, uh, that I'm going through and some of you have decided to go through as well. If you want a hard copy of it, of course, it's online. You can download it free. It's on probably all your Bible apps if you do that. Uh, I sent an email about it. If you didn't get that, you can ask me. But if you just want a a hard copy, a a real durable hard copy, there's some back there that you can grab and stick in your Bible. Okay. Well, in November, when I preached my first sermon in this series on the church, I said that at least for the next year or two, probably longer, I'm going to sprinkle in occasional sermons on the doctrine of the church. And our goal in these sermons is to re-envision congregational life and what it means to be a member of a local body of Christ. In November's sermon, we explored the question, is church membership biblical? Is membership just a modern convention, or does the Bible actually teach it? Are we just doing it because it's normal or convenient, um, helpful in some ways, or are we doing it because it 
flows from the teaching of Scripture. And we discovered from various texts that New Testament believers knew which local assembly they belonged to. And they knew who else belonged to that same body, that same assembly. Each member knew who he was covenanted with, who he was accountable to and for. And he was called to live the Christian life alongside those members, those fellow members. He knew on the Lord's day who he was uniting himself to or with during the Lord's Supper and his participation in the Lord's Supper. We also saw that the shepherds of local congregations knew who they were responsible for, who they were responsible to to feed and to, to tend, to watch over. There was a process for coming in and a process for going out. We saw that there were even lists in these churches, lists of names. And when Jesus taught on the church in Matthew 16 and then again in Matthew 18, this is the very first thing the New Testament has to say about the church, he addressed the congregation's duty to keep earthly membership records. And he, he says that these earthly membership records should approximate as closely as possible the membership records kept in heaven. Okay, What you bind or loose on earth will have been bound or loosed in heaven if if the congregation is doing it correctly, rightly. The New Testament expects leaders of local churches to be able to identify by name those specific souls that they are watching over. And it expects church members to be able to identify by name those specific leaders that they are to obey and submit to. So when you become a member of a local church, you enter into a covenant with a congregation. Church membership is a covenant of union. We could call it a covenant relationship between a particular church and an individual Christian. And throughout these sermons, I'm going to keep coming back to a a working definition of church membership. I presented it to you last time, the first sermon. And as we fill out our doctrine of the church, I think you'll see how the definition accurately summarizes the biblical data on church membership. So our, def- our definition answers the question, what is church membership? Here's the answer. Here's our working definition. Church membership is a covenant between a local church and an individual Christian in which both the church and the Christian make commitments to each other. The church's commitment to the individual Christian is to disciple the Christian and to affirm publicly that the Christian is a follower of Christ. The Christian's commitment to the church is to attend its assemblies, submit to its decisions, and to do the work of ministry. When you enter into, a church, into church membership, you enter into a solemn agreement, agreement with the body of Christ, with a local body of Christ. When you join a church, a covenant of union is formed between you and the congregation. And there are responsibilities and relationships there that you don't have with every Christian on planet Earth. And so, for example, no one in this congregation, nor the entire congregation, can excommunicate somebody in a different congregation. Just as an example. 
So by extending church membership, church membership to you, the church is saying, as far as we can tell, you're a faithful disciple of Jesus. And as long as the church doesn't excommunicate you, it continues to put its seal of approval on your claim to follow Christ. That's one of the jobs of the family of God. By extending church membership to you, the church also promises to to disciple you, to watch over you. This comes through the preaching and the teaching. It comes through the elders' oversight, but it also comes through the mutual building up of the body, of every member in the body. And every member is to engage in that work of ministry, exhorting, encouraging, rebuking. By accepting membership into a body, the individual Christian promises to come regularly to the worship assemblies. He promises to submit to the decisions of the congregation. He promises to obey its leaders. And he promises to serve and minister to his fellow members. These are the things that we see in the New Testament taught by uh, principle, precept, also by example. Now, last time we considered the biblical mandate for church membership. Today we'll build on that foundation and look at the need for church membership, the aim or goal of church membership, and the function of church membership. The need, the aim, and the function. We see the need for church membership in Hebrews 3. Turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 3. And we'll be looking at verses 12 to 14. Hebrews is a sermon to believers who are in danger of falling away, falling away from the faith and going back into old ways. And in chapter 13, the the author of Hebrews calls it, uh, the whole book, a word of exhortation. And so it's a sermon. And here in chapter 3 of Hebrews, the author explicitly warns us not to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let's read the text and and then walk through it. Hebrews 3, verses 12 to 14. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Now, in the previous section of, of Hebrews 3 here, in, the, in verses 7 to 11, the author quotes from Psalm 95, and you can look up and see that. And that says that the, the disobedient Israelites in the wilderness were punished by God, and they, they didn't inherit the promised land. They died in the wilderness because of their hardness of heart. And the author holds up this negative example to us, to instruct us, to warn us. They hardened their hearts, and the author, uh, author of Hebrews does not want us to do the same. So in verse 12, if you're looking at, at your text there, verse 12, he says to make sure that you don't have an evil, unbelieving heart that causes you to fall away 
from the living God. In verse 13, he warns against the temptation to be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, look again at verse 13. What does it tell us to do to make sure we don't develop an evil and unbelieving heart? How do we keep ourselves from departing from the living God? Exhort one another daily, as long as it's called today, while it is called today. So in this text, that's the antidote to falling away from the faith. You need regular exhortation from the body of Christ to keep you from becoming evil and unbelieving. You and I need to be exhorted regularly by our brothers and our sisters lest we harden our hearts as in the wilderness rebellion. I'm afraid we don't take seriously the the warning in verse 13 uh, enough uh, that warning not to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceit. Sin is active. It's tireless. It's, it never sleeps. It's dangerous. It's a force within us, within every one of us. Sin lies to us and entices us with empty promises. Sin never calls sin, sin. And all the while, it lures us to go deeper and deeper into sin until our consciences are seared and our hearts are no longer sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. No, no longer convicted of sin. No longer sensitive to God's word. If you're not killing sin, as John, Owens, John Owen said, then you can be sure it is killing you. It won't tell you what it's doing, okay? It doesn't tell you its secrets. It works clandestinely. Sin never allows you to observe its work in you in real time. <clears throat> Sin is a deadly, insidious enemy within. It'll live inside of you until you die. And you can't fight it alone. That's the point here. If you try to defeat this enemy by yourself... Without the people of God, without a close connection to the people of God, your heart will be hardened and the enemy within will deceive you, drag you off every time. I see this often in the lives of those who are disconnected or barely connected to a local church. If Scripture is correct, I'm afraid that a low view of church membership can only make sense to someone who also has a low view of sin's deceitfulness. If a person has determined that his tendency towards sin isn't all that powerful, uh, he, he's mainly got it whipped, if he doesn't believe that the enemy within poses much of a threat to his faith, he's got it under control, then, well, I can understand why he wouldn't see a need to connect himself, to join himself to a body of Christians whose job is to watch over him and to exhort him, to disciple him, to encourage him and to check him. But if a person agrees with Scripture that sin is deceitful, then he will also agree with Scripture that he can't kill 
his sin effectively alone. He'll recognize that sin lies to him and he needs others to help him unmask those lies. He can't do it himself. With regard to church membership, this passage in Hebrews 3 raises a couple of questions. First, how is someone who is not a member of a church susceptible to being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Well, a believer who hasn't covenanted with a local congregation and church membership is especially susceptible to being hardened by sin's deceitfulness because he is not officially accountable to anyone. Fellow church members are under the, under the authority of the same church, the same congregation. They've committed to look out for one another. If a church member begins to cherish his sin more than he is cherishing Christ, the whole church is called to pursue that individual in love, even to the point of excommunication, if that person does not turn from his sin back to Christ. And so the problem with not joining a church is that you can just walk away at any time with no real consequences. You would have to agree with the people confronting you for it to have any effect, right? And if you don't agree, you just walk away. There's no teeth to the church's discipleship in that scenario. There's no real accountability. And if you put yourself in this situation, independent of accountability to a local body, you give sin's deceitfulness the, the upper hand. And sin will try its hardest to exploit this situation to its advantage in your ruin. Plus, the, the kind of independent, autonomous, self-sufficient attitude which often leads to not joining a church is itself a dangerous manifestation of spiritual pride. It's like saying, yeah, other people might need constant help, accountability, exhortation in order not to be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, but my need for such things is pretty minimal. The second question this passage raises is, and this is for every church member, what are you doing to exhort your fellow members daily while it is called today, lest any of them be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The scriptures call each one of you, every member of Christ the King Church, to stir up love and good works in this congregation. So what are you doing to stir up love and good works in this body? Now showing up regularly on the Lord's Day, on the on the. Lord's Day Assembly, which is this, is, is a good and necessary start. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we read, says, And let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but exhorting one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Sunday Assembly is the hub of our congregational life and fellowship. But the author of Hebrews envisions more than just the weekly opportunity to speak into the lives of one another. 
Now, the geographical spread of Christ the King, the members of Christ the King Church, might make it difficult for us to see one another as often as we would like face to face during the week. And while nothing can replace that face to face physical contact, a text or an email or a phone call can go a long way in staying connected with the family of God between meetings, between assemblies. There are a lot of ways that you can ex- encourage and exhort and edify, that means build up, the body of Christ between Sundays. And some of you may need to be reminded of Peter's exhortation to show hospitality. 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality, imperative. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Showing hospitality to the body is a command, not an option. Home hospitality is a way of deepening relationships and opening doors for you to speak into the lives of other believers and for them to speak into your life. It creates opportunities that are not created otherwise. You're needed in this body. Your membership, your individual membership, as Paul calls it, in 1 Corinthians 12, is vital. I and everyone else here need you. We're all waging a war against sin that none of us can fight alone. And you need us. So are you allowing yourself to be exhorted regularly? And what are you doing to exhort others regularly? text says daily. I'm letting us off the hook here with regularly. Make sure you're doing your part to help the rest of us get across the finish line. Verse 14 of Hebrews 3 says, For we have come to share in Christ if, indeed, we hold our original confidence steadfast to the end. The test of a true believer is is endurance, perseverance. That's the mark of true faith. Our mutual exhortation of one another is one of the ways that God keeps each of us steadfast in the faith to the end. It's, It's a key means of our perseverance. Christians need to be members of a local church so that through the church's accountability and exhortation, we are protected from sin's hardening, from its deception. But church membership doesn't only prevent negative things from happening to us. The New Testament also casts a positive vision for membership. The, the aim or goal of church membership is that each member helps the whole church grow toward maturity in Christ. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Paul says that the purpose of shepherds and teachers is to equip equip the members of the congregation for the work of ministry. So you can turn there. That's our next text, Ephesians 4. Ministry is the vocation of Every part, every body part, every member. It's not just the work of the paid guys or the ordained guys. 
It's the work of everyone. Flip back a few epistles to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We'll start in verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. So Paul's speaking specifically to the aim of church membership in these verses. And earlier in the chapter, he explained how Christ conquered death and hell and uniquely gifted every believer. And then he says, in this one long sentence, that is verses 11 to 16, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So according to this passage, especially verse 12, it's all the saints, every saint, who do the work of ministry. This might be different from the, the way we often think about quote-unquote ministry, right? Some may look at me and say, he went into ministry. So we tend to think of the people who get up front as the ministers, and the people who sit in the pew are the ministered to. But that's only one piece of the pie. According to Paul, the people who get up front are supposed to be equipping the people in the pews to do the work of ministry in the local church for the edifying of the body of Christ. And what's the goal of your ministry? What's the goal of your ministry? Verse 13 says that the aim of the church's growth is that every member attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. That's the goal, mature manhood. We want to be a mature man, a mature person here at Christ the King Church, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul teaches us here how to evaluate a church, how to evaluate our church. We might be tempted to evaluate our church or any church on the basis of the style of music or the style of of preaching or whether we like uh, you know, certain secondary features of the sanctuary, uh, whether we feel like the church is meeting our needs, or whether the appointed leadership is doing enough. But Paul says we should evaluate our church on the basis of how well we're helping others grow in faith, in maturity, and in the knowledge of the Son of God. That's the test. If you want to evaluate your church, the question to ask yourself is, how am I doing and how are others doing in building up the body 
to mature manhood, to a mature knowledge of Christ. And each of us should start with himself. How am I helping the rest of the body grow in the unity of faith and in the unity of the knowledge of God's Son? What's my ministry? How is my ministry contributing to the goal of making the church a mature man in Christ? Paul says in verse 14 that once we become mature, As we become mature, the more mature we get, we're able to withstand the winds of doctrine. And there are lots of doctrines blowing about. And lots of teachers vying for your attention, vying for your followership, vying for your clicks and comments and contributions. They prey on immature believers. And so the antidote to their schemes is maturity. And wisdom, a mature church, isn't taken in by the posturing because it's grounded in the gospel, this church is, and committed to the unity of faith. Now let me ask you, what percentage of the body needs to contribute in order for it to mature properly? What percentage of the body needs... You know, what's that secret number? What percentage of the body needs to contribute for the church to mature properly? According to verse 16, it's 100%. 100% of the members need to do their share. Paul says that the whole body, verse 16, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part, every member does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Again, edify there means to build up. Some translations, some of your Bibles might have that translation, to build up. Here's how a different translation words verse 16. The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. For optimal growth, each member of Christ the King Church must do its share in the body. Now, each share, each member, uh, each member's share is going to look different from every other member's share. So it's not a comparison game. But you are a member. And if you look carefully at Ephesians 4.16, you'll see that it's the whole body that causes the growth of the body. Do you see that? The subject of the verb is the whole body. And the verb is causes to grow. And the object is the, whole, is the body again. The body causes the body to grow. And the whole body edifies itself in love. It's not the pastors that cause the whole body to grow. It's not the elders and deacons that cause the whole body to grow. It's not the men of the church who cause the whole body to grow. It's not the women of the church who cause the whole body to grow. Our congregation is knit together, joined together by what every single joint supplies. We only work effectively insofar as every member is doing its share. So there are are two types of church membership, 
functioning membership and non-functioning membership. A healthy body will be full of functioning members. That's our goal. That's the vision of the New Testament. Do you know how to remain a member of a country club? You pay your dues, right? Pay your dues, and you don't even really have to show up all that often, right? I mean, other than to pay your dues, uh, and you can probably send those in. But pay your dues, and people will be available to serve you. But do you know how to remain a biblical, functioning member of a local church? You give and serve. You give and serve. Biblical church membership gives joyfully, of course, without qualification and with no strings attached. And biblical membership serves the body as a way of life. Just as all the body parts on your body serve the body as just a way of life. It's what they do. So biblical church membership is a functioning membership. The body of Christ, like a human body, is a unified whole, and it's made up of many individual parts. Parts. Paul uses the word members. Church membership is explicitly biblical. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. He writes to the Corinthian church. One member is a foot, another a hand or an ear or an eye or a nose, and each member must function if the body's going to work and grow properly. You know, your feet, they have to walk, right? When the body tells it to, when the body needs to walk, that's what the feet have to do. A hand needs to pick up things when it's time to pick up things. Ears to hear, eyes to see, noses to smell. And we who are members of of the church are supposed to function in the church according to the gifts that God has given to each one of us. That's something that Paul makes clear in his passages like 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 14 on, on spiritual gifts and membership in the body. We do according to the gift, the gifting of God. And so biblically, there is no such thing as an inactive church member. Only only an unhealthy body will have inactive body parts. It's true of the church just as it is of the human body. Everyone has a role. Everyone has a function. And everyone should be functioning. I know there's going to be somebody who says, well, what about the appendix, right, on the human body? There's no appendices, you know, there are appendixes. Uh, We all have a part to play. You cannot be removed without the body suffering. Of course, we're all different. That, That needs to be emphasized. We're all different because God has gifted us differently. And this means that we'll have, you will have a unique function, a unique function. It won't look exactly like anybody else. Your function won't look exactly like anyone else's. No two body, body parts function exactly alike. You know, even, even your two hands, or your two arms don't do exactly the same thing. 
But if we're true and biblical church members, we will be functioning. And so the question you should never ask yourself is, should I be serving my church? The question you should always be asking yourself and always coming back to is, how can I best serve my church? What does that look like at this season of life? What has God gifted me to do, equipped me to do, enabled me to do, called me to do? That, I say you should be asking that question and praying about it because it does take discernment. Discernment. And it's something you should be asking God to help you see. But you should always be asking yourself that question. Always be praying about that question. How can I best serve my church? A biblical church member is a functioning member. And a biblical congregation is a congregation full of functioning members. So spend some time this week just on that question. Asking God, how can I best serve my church? What are some ways, more specifically, that I can exhort the brethren, the body? What can I do to edify, to build up this congregation? Let's pray and ask God to lead us in the work of ministry. God, we love you and we love your church that you have redeemed through the blood of your son Jesus and that you have made us members of. We thank you for the church universal and we thank you for this particular congregation, this particular body. And we ask you to help us as a congregation and each of us individually to know what it means to build up this body in love to mature manhood. Give us discernment as we seek your will and help us to see clearly what your will is and then give us the, the spiritual fortitude to do it, to make the sacrifices that you're calling us to make. We ask for your help because we need it we ask for your spirit to accomplish this in us for the sake of Jesus. Amen.